And welcome to another Round the Rotary uh, podcast with me, your host, J.P. Warren. And uh, before we get kicked off, i got to say that Round the Rotary podcast is brought to you by Capital Petroleum Consultants. CPC specializes in project engineering and well site supervision in all disciplines of the oil and gas industry. Contact us through www.capitalpetroleumconsultants.com to see what CPC can do for you today. JP, you're really good at that. It sounds like you've done that a couple times. I feel like every time I kind of, uh, it's you want to get closer to the mic and drop your voice just a little bit for that <laughs> CPC. Find out what CPC can do for you today. It's yeah. pretty good. It's, it's Yeah, you got some gruffness to it. I like it. So for those of you that are listening right now or, or tuning in on uh, YouTube or whatever, we got, a, we got a, one, actually one of my, uh, I've known this guy for about, what, 20 years now? Yeah, man, I, I think it's actually right at 20 years. We go back to the A&A, A&M study abroad marketing trip days. Do we whoop on the podcast? Uh, you can do what you want. Okay, whoop. Okay, there yeah, you we'll, go. We'll go We'll go there. Yeah, all right, there we go. So yeah. Jason Stewart is the technical sales manager, completion solutions at Weatherford. Is that right? Indeed, yeah, that's that's the title. And Jason, before we kicked off on our background and kind of what we went into, why don't you give us kind of the uh, the, the, the quick, you know, uh, uh, spiel what you got, how, how, you're, how are you, where you at today? How am I where I, where I am at today? Yes, your background. So what are we talking about jobs? Are we talking about like me personally? What, what do we even hear about, JP? You know what? This is an open-ended question. Why don't you, uh, why don't you just uh, kick <laughs> us right. off where we should be kicked off, So I was, I was conceived in love. Uh, <laughs> no, um, <laughs> Let's go way back. Yeah, so I grew up in Houston, um, originally from a, a small town in Central Texas. But um, yeah, for the most part, I, I lived in South Houston. Uh, went to high school in, in Katy, and then sometime after that, I went to college at A&M. Actually, not sometime. Pretty immediately after that. All right. And uh, that's where I met you, obviously. So you were actually going to A&M to get your, to go marketing uh, degree. So that's not where I started, man. So I, I feel like I had a lot of confusion in college. You know, the funny thing is, is I feel like I've always been a fairly opinionated person, but somehow, you know, in school, I, I just... Yeah, I tried my hand at a number of different things. What can I say? I was, yeah, noncommittal at that point. So. And so you chose marketing. So I chose marketing. Yeah, Why? I chose marketing. Um, because of a professor. Dr. Larry Gresham. Dr. Larry Gresham, indeed. I think uh, Dr. Larry Gresham is a uh, sign of the times. He's definitely a staple at the, uh, the, the Mays Business School in the College Station. You know, I, I I need to catch up with him. So I went to the Florida game not too long ago, and I, I should have stopped by his house. Um, so shame on me. But yeah, Dr. Larry Gresham. I did go to Fitzwillie's though, and that's it's, that's, that's some uh, that's some good afternoons at Fitzwillie's with you, me, and uh, Dr. Larry Gresham. <laughs> yeah, man. Like that was one of the highlights of my my college career. So we, so. so tell us. Okay, so tell us how you got in the oil field because I know after college you didn't immediately uh, get in the oil fields, but tell us how you kind of got here uh, eventually. Yeah. So, so I graduated from college and, you know, unlike the kids of today, um, I feel like I was a little bit confused, right? So went to A&M, great education, you know, for, for those out there that are thinking about sending their kids to A&M, please do. We need good Aggies. But, um, but yeah, I came out and, you know, I was, I was in marketing. I didn't really know what that meant. Right. And so, um, the, the, the first job that I had an opportunity well, that, that took a risk on me was um, it was in the home building industry. Okay. And so uh, worked kind of like a, like a sales slash marketing role in the home building industry. And, um, you know, I mean, as jobs go, like I learned a lot, right? So, but, but I'll tell you, you know, when I first got into the, you know, 
the full-time like employment environment, I kind of thought that like somehow with my charisma and good looks, like I would just be infinitely successful and people would pick up on like, you know, the, like the movies. Yeah. yeah this absolutely. guy's got it together. He's, he's got, you know, 8% body fat, you know, he's got great suits. He's going to be great. Some, yeah. Somehow I was going to Barney Stinson my way to the top. Right. Right. Yeah. And, um, man, I found out pretty quick that that was not going to be the case. There's a right? million Barney Stensons out there. Well, yeah, absolutely, right? So you're so you're one in a sea of of yeah, mm-hmm. very qualified fish, right? Right. And um and so anyways, I um, you know, I I learned that there was some hard work involved and um and so I, you know, unfortunately I got caught up. I was in home building, did decently well. I mean, I don't know I don't know that I gave it as much as I should have given it. Like okay. I mean, let, let's just call a, you know, a spade a spade in this situation. And, and so I'll tell you, though, like in 2006, my life changed. Uh, actually, sorry, 2005, my life changed and um, my son came along. So anyways, that that immediately gave me a purpose okay. and a motivation, a reason to, to get out of bed in the morning and go and just try and succeed, succeed, yeah. cr- like crush business, be right. as successful as, you know, as I possibly could be. Right. So, um, yeah, so I, I moved in 2006 into a role that was very strict sales. Okay. And what do you mean strict sales? Like straight commission, like just sale, 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 like very like Dunder Mifflin style. Yeah. So, so we can just, we can make it Dunder Mifflin-esque. Um, it was selling copiers and printers. So. And we were actually, fun fact, we were actually uh, in the same building. We were. Uh, during that time. I was at Noble Drilling down in Sugarland. And uh, I guess you were uh, you were a couple floors uh, either below or above, depending if I was, was in HR at the time or it was above. Office. It was above. But yeah. anyways, yeah, I was I was yeah in the penthouse. Okay, okay. <laughs> so you're in the penthouse. Uh, no, just kidding. That wasn't the case. But anyways, um, yeah, I I'm selling copiers, okay. right? And so hardcore sales. I'm talking like. I'm knocking on doors in the middle of summer in a full suit and tie. Dude, that's pretty intimidating. I mean, I can I can only imagine like that straight cold call in sales, like the the sales of like how it was back in the day. You know what I mean? Like the put the suit and tie on, go knock on the door, make an impression and try to sell something that they might not know they have a need for or they might not have a need for. Absolutely, right? And so any anytime you've for any of those listeners out there that have like ever done door-to-door sales, like you know how intimidating it is. I mean, People more often than not want to have nothing to do with you. Yeah, and, and the fear of rejection often—I mean, that's kind of a, that's a huge demotivator uh, when you're sure. in sales. Sure, but I mean, it was a great job for me right. because it gave me the opportunity to grow really thick skin. Okay, right. I, I very quickly understood, like, no matter what this person says to me or how they treat me, like, it doesn't determine somehow like my value in the world. Like, yeah, who you it, are. Exactly right. So. Um, so for me, I, like I learned to take rejection, and I also learned how to differentiate myself in the market quickly, right? Because these folks are getting hit up all the right, time, right? So yeah, I mean, great, like great job for me. Um, I I did it for about three years. I like to believe that I I had some good success. I certainly had some some good leadership in okay. those roles. So. Yeah. So it, you're strengthening your, your 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 sales skills during this time period, and then you uh, after after um, at uh, after this company, where'd you go after that? Did you get in the oil field after that? No, not quite. Um, so immediately after selling copiers, I went into surgical sales. Okay. 
So that was supposed to be the coup de gras of sales jobs, right? right? Medical sales in Houston. Absolutely. I mean, I'm calling in the medical center. I'm talking to doctors. I'm in surgery telling people how to implant screws. Like, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a like a big ego trip, yeah. right? Yeah. And so, um, so, so I did that for a little while. And, um, you know, quite honestly, like, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a ton. Okay. Um, you know, I, I parted ways with the organization, um, just, just kind of based on a difference of opinion. Okay. Um, but very but, political way to put it, but okay. Hey, it's the best I could do. That's fine. Right? That, on that, the wor- podcast. that works here. Yeah. This is permanent. Um, but, but I mean, again, really enjoyed it. I, I felt like I was good at it. Okay. And, um, it was, it was, it was something I could see myself doing long-term. Okay. Yeah. Um, but as luck would have it, like that's not where my, my sales career kind of like stagnated or ended. Right. Like I, like I heard at that point in time about all of the magic that was going on in unconventional reservoirs in the U S I had the good luck and the good fortune of having a family member that worked for Transocean at the time. So okay. I don't know if we even talked about that. I before. didn't know that. Who, who worked at Transocean? So, so my aunt, Carol, yeah. she worked at Transocean. Um, yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. What was she doing at Transocean? So, so she was uh, consulting for like rig moves across the globe. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, we're in 2011. Um, you know, I'm, so you're out of college since 2002, 2003. Yeah. So again, like lots of sales experience, right? Right. And, and great experience. And um, different industries too. You're selling. You're selling a printer that someone that nobody wants to replace. Correct. You know what well, I mean? And it's a fixed cost, right? It's They're, a fixed cost, and you're and then and then you go sell medical, uh, so, which is a completely different sale. I feel like. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say yes to that. So you're are you so you're seeing all this stuff with the unconventionals and all that. So okay. So all of that energy, right? All of that energy around unconventionals and in kind of you know the story that my aunt was telling me. That is what attracted me to oil and gas. What so, kind of stories was she telling you? I mean, ju- just about. So let's take a step back. So in college, yeah. you you and I yeah. had a friend that got into oil and gas. Yeah. The okay. petroleum engineer, I think he graduated in 01 or 02. The class was probably very small at the time. Hey, fighting Texas Aggie class of 02. Whoop. That's the second um, whoop here yeah. uh, around the rotary. And anyway, so he, he uh, petroleum engineer. Yeah, so um, it's it's ironic. He doesn't listen to the show. It's R.J. Moses. He doesn't listen to it anyway. So you know what? You know what? You're probably wrong, man. Even if he does listen to it, he will never give me the satisfaction that he does listen to. He's like, oh yeah, I've heard about it. Maybe (laughs) around the rotary. No, it's round the rotary, dude. Round, like the circle. Anyways, Um, so you know, we both entered A and M in engineering. Okay, and and I'm trying to remember if I've told him the story before, but. But I hope he remembers. So we both enter, enter into engineering. So yeah. that was like one of the stops. And, and it, as much as I hate to say it, I washed out of engineering, right? Right. Um, but I remember going into it. I was in aerospace and he was in petroleum. Okay. Okay. And so we had a conversation. And the conversation was around like, what will this degree lead to? And as terrible as this sounds, JP, okay, as terrible as it sounds, based on my job and the industry that I'm in now, yeah. right, like oil and gas, right? I remember telling him in like 1998, it's like, are you really going to go into petroleum? Do you want to spend the rest of your life in some um, far off but yet dangerous locale, right, um, 
because that's that's going to be your career. Like, there's not domestic jobs in oil and gas. That was, but that's how it was back then. I remember. Go, I remember when I was going from Connecticut to uh, College Station. I remember uh, filling up my uh, my truck, and it was what like ninety eighty seven cents gallon, eighty seven uh, cents per gallon, or something like that. Sure. So it's like I rem- I remember. But the thing is, though, I didn't know that the oil, I didn't know anything about the oil and gas industry when I was at A and M. Well, and the truth is, is that I talked like I did. Yeah. But I didn't know anything either, right? Okay. All, all, all I knew was like a very small piece, and so here I am giving advice. That's, I mean, really unnecessary. Like, this dude's family grew up in oil and gas. Like, he knew more about it than than I probably have learned at this point. So you, know? you kind of leapfrogged uh, when when it comes to providing your opinion when no one asked for it based on stuff that you have no idea about. Pretty I mean, sure. I feel like a lot of people that do that these days. Like, people provide their expert opinions when they don't know anything about certain topics. I was ahead of the curve, but maybe that's how I got on the podcast. You're a hipster. That's how you got on the podcast. <laughs> so anyway... Yeah. So, um, so anyways, we took a step back. We talked about that. So, um, so yeah, so I'm in 2011 and my aunt is discussing everything that's exciting around domestic oil and gas production. Okay. And, you know, she, she told me, she said, Jason, like they are looking for people that are talented salespeople, um, but that that don't necessarily have an engineering degree or, or haven't been in oil and gas. Right. And so, you know, just kind of off the cuff, I was like, okay, I'll put, I'll, you know, I'll put an application in. And um, I put an application into this program that um, has, has, has been looked upon at times as, as, you know, as like somewhat disparagingly. But I put an application into what was at that point in time called the Sales Academy at Baker Hughes. So why was that looked at negatively? <sighs> because... If you've been in oil and gas for any period of time, like right. you, you feel like this is an environment where you earn your keep, right? Okay. So if you were going to move into a sales role in, oil, in a major service company, like the expectation is that you have you worked your way up from the field. A- absolutely, right. absolutely. And you know what? I think that that's a deserved expectation because there's a capability and a competence that you gain by working in the field that I you agree. can never gain otherwise. I agree. So, um, so I came in through the sales academy. As luck would have it, though, you know, Baker did a great job of helping to educate these folks and giving them an opportunity to at least grasp some piece of field experience. So I, so I spent some time in the field. Um, I went out. I, I went through mud school, went to um, the Haynesville. Went, I, I was out on a Chesapeake rig in the Haynesville, and that was my, my, my first tower. And, man, I learned an awful lot. And one thing I think if you talk to me about my career, one thing you'll learn is yeah. that, like, I've made a career just saying yes and then figuring out how I'm going to do it. Okay. okay. So whenever I hired on, they told me, Jason, we want you to work in North Dakota. Right. And at the time, you know, we can, we can take a step back again, but at the time I was a single dad, didn't know how I was going to make that work. Was your second child here yet? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, right. so this is uh this is 2011, 2012. And um yeah, I just said yes. I was like, "Hey, I'll figure it out." Okay. So okay. um so. have you always had that yes, I'm going to do this mentality or is that just kind of something that's like, "Well, I mean, I've I've tried copiers, I've tried medical, it's all feel I'm just going to say yes now." I mean, or is this something that you've always had? <sighs> you know, honestly, I mean, I can tell you it's not something Definitively that, definitively that I've always had. Okay. I wish I could tell you that it was, 
What I can tell you is that I grew up in a family of hardworking folks. Okay. Okay. So the the folks that 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 raised me, and and I say folks that raised me. So I, very unconventional family. Um, I was certainly the byproduct of like kind of the village mentality, but everybody felt like I always felt like these people understood like the value of a dollar and how to go out and and earn their keep. Okay. And so whenever we talk about that yes mentality, you know, I can tell you that somewhere like deeply etched on the record was the details of saying yes. Like that was there. Okay. Okay. But it took having kids. It took like the, that level of motivation to really bring that out in me. You had, you had the stockpile of everything. You had, you, you had the, the, the containers of, you know, you know, gunpowder. You just needed that spark. And which so, is your which is your kids? And sometimes you don't know what you have until you're pushed to the brink, right? So, like, I can tell you definitively that in my career there have been a couple times that you know God has humbled me. Okay. And so, like, I remember in 2008, like, I was relatively successful in copiers. The market crashed, and it's strict commission. And man, I, I went out and I was slinging drinks at night, right? So for anybody that's listening, I remember that. Yeah. So for anybody that's listening on the podcast, like there's when City Center opened, I was slinging drinks at that, uh, the Asian restaurant Straits for a couple of years, right? So I'm working days and nights. Fun fact about Straits: it's now International Smoke, which is now closed. That my wife and I had very violent food poisoning at, but I don't blame that on you. Or the location. I, I, I was, blame that on the management. I was long gone by then. You were long gone. So, you, so, you, so you're, you're you're working. You're selling copiers, but also you're doing this other job with with, with children at the house. I was. So you're busting your ass pretty much. It was. I mean, yeah, it was everything that I could do to to try and make sure and take care of these kids. And and for those that lived through 2008 and were new in their career, I'm sure I'm not alone in that. Mm-hmm. Right? Like there are a lot of people that. Well, I mean, people. I mean, people can relate that to that today. Right now, sure, with everything going on, absolutely right. But I mean, like from from my standpoint, there's always an opportunity. Okay, like it just depends on how bad you want it. And at that point in time, I wanted it stinking bad. Okay, right? so it was whatever I had to do to take care of my kids. So it's go to North Dakota, and so you went there. Yeah, and and yeah, again, in my mindset, it's like, look, I've been working two or three jobs. Like, I'll, I'll go to North Dakota. Yeah. Okay. okay. So you're at, so you're you're in North Dakota. All right. You're learning. So this is kind of the, 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 the field experience of the Academy at Baker Hughes, where you're actually in yeah. the field learning the roles, learning the rigs, learning the everything that goes on from the crown to the ground. Agreed. So I'm, I'm setting a rig as a mud engineer in North Dakota. Right. And at the time in 2011, it was an absolutely like unbelievable opportunity to learn, but then also like a really crazy time in North Dakota. Okay. And so- Why? It, well, I mean, it's the boom, and it's the Bakken boom. And so, like, Walmarts can't stay stocked, and there's no housing. Like, there's there's not a single place to live. So it's, so it's pretty much what you hear about Midland about a couple of years ago, where it's like, you know, Walmart, uh, McDonald's is paying 25 bucks an hour or something like that with a $1,000 or $10,000 signing bonus or something like that. Well, so I was in Midland a couple of years ago, so I had the opportunity to do that one too. Okay. But if I had to compare and contrast – like North Dakota did not have the infrastructure that Midland had. Well, okay? we, we actually we just did a podcast with a uh, Preston Peoples, and he said the exact same thing. Yeah, so North Dakota in 2011 was absolute insanity. Like there was no place to live, and so after spending several weeks up there trying to find a place, um, I finally found a fifth wheel on the back of this lady's house that was about 
uh, let's say, 100 miles away from the primary field as it stood at that point in time. And so I am a single dad about to move my kids to North Dakota. Right. Living in a fifth wheel on the back of this lady's house. No bathroom. Okay. Small kitchenette that I could cook like some ramen noodles. Right. Yum. In the middle of winter... In North Dakota, it's a, neg- it's negative a balmy 30. fifty-five degrees. Ne- negative thirty. Yeah. So, so, so let me ask you a question. So, you, you you go to this academy. I mean, this is your next step in your career, which is oil and gas. Now, you're 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 getting in now, and you're going. You're being sent to North Dakota to sit a rig as a mud engineer. Are sure. you I, I, anytime? So, what what was your main intention for going to Baker Hughes? Was it getting the oil field, or was it getting the sales in the oil field, or what? Yeah. So that's a really good question. Thank so, you. Do you hear that a lot? I always say thank you after I hear okay. that. It's a good question. Um, so what, what I'll tell you is that, you know, what I've been passionate about, like even before the oil field is leadership. Okay. I saw an opportunity and I saw an opportunity in an industry that I felt like was prime for leadership. Okay. I saw an opportunity in an industry that I felt like appealed to me from a technical level like there were so many positive things about the oil field before I was in it okay. that were just really exciting, right? And so um, so why would I take a job in North Dakota, you know, over selling yeah. titanium screws and surgery? Yeah. It's all of that. It's the opportunity, right? It's the opportunity. It's it's the the aspects of the job that appeal to me. Like there, there's, there's so many things about the oil field that are so unique. Oh, yeah. You know, and take it from somebody who's sold in a lot of different industries. There's so many things that are so unique that cannot be replicated, right? So if you're passionate about those things, if you're passionate about the opportunity to, to, to really partner with customers to sell value based on need, right? If you're passionate about technology, if you're passionate about, like, a dynamic industry that's innovative, like, all of these things fit my personality exceptionally well. So this is one of those things you're like, you know, I'm 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 gonna stick with this. I will move my children up here. I mean, this is this. I want to stay stay with the oil and gas industry just because of the opportunity and the and the, I guess the the culture of the industry. Yeah, I, I I would say that. I mean, I I think it's I think it has a lot to say about the excitement, the energy, and the enthusiasm that you can develop whenever you really embrace what it is we do, right. right? Which is, I mean, providing affordable energy, right? right to people. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, man, I mean, like I said, I, I went hook, line, and sinker. I, I I had been a salesperson that thought I'd sell everything under the sun. And, you know, I, I even doubled down and got my, my master's in energy, right? So, like, so. From where? From DU. So, from the University of Denver. Okay. Um, I'm sorry, for the University of Colorado, Denver. There we go. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and I went to the Global Energy Management Program. Well, well, let's slow down. Let's, again, taken from your term, let's back up a little bit. So you're okay. in North Dakota. Yeah. All right. So you're sitting, you're sitting on a rig, mm-hmm. right? You're, 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 you're the mud engineer on the rig. So how did you eventually transition into sales? And, and where did you start your first sales role okay. in the oil field? Yeah. So, so I have a fifth wheel on the back of this lady's house yeah. in North Dakota. And... At the time, it's it's the middle of winter in yeah, going from 2011 to 2012, and I am going out on tower, and then I'm coming back. And at the time, again, I told you I was a single dad, right? So I might have spent a couple days in my fifth wheel, 
But a lot of times I was flying back to Houston to come check on my kids. Just for the record, ladies, if you're listening and single, he is a, still a single dad. So nothing wrong against him, but he just is. Go on. Okay. So um, thanks for that. Uh, anyways, so yeah, I, I'm flying back to see my kids. And um, and on one of those trips, I still remember this day, I'm in the airport. I get a call and uh, it's this guy that... I had been like alerted to that um, might be my manager at some point. Um, if he's listening, I, you know he's retired now, so I think I can share his name. Steve Adams, great guy. He's a listener. I'm sure he is. Um, so he gave me a call and he asked me. He said, "Hey, Jason, you know I, I know you're up in North Dakota right now. I know eventually the thought process at that point in time was that you're going to sit rigs for a while and then you're going to go and become a field salesperson okay. in North Dakota running rigs and." And I was okay with that. I accepted it, right? And he goes, um, he goes, hey Jason, um, we, we need you in Denver. We've we've had some attrition. We've had a couple of folks leave, and we would love to have you come and um, sell to to Denver customers. So, how long are you in North Dakota before you got this phone call? Man, it, it must have been about two months. Oh, okay, that's so. It. It's not very long. Okay. okay. So again, I mean, we're talking Haynesville for a couple of towers. We're talking North Dakota. Um, same story. I mean, you know, a couple of months and then you get this call. I get this call. Okay. Yep. And so I land in Denver, March of 2012. Okay. Yep. And I'm, I mean, beyond going through mud school, I'm as about as green as you can get, right? I've only run invert mud. So, I mean, realistically, like (laughs) I'm dealing with a lot of different water-based jobs. Like there's, there's a number of different things I don't know. And I mean, I, 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 that's one thing I like I hope that I convey in our conversation is that like I've always been very open about the things that I don't know, but then I've also been very good at understanding the resources that are available to me and trying to partner with people that I that I feel like can advance the conversation. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. I mean, I mean, going from someone, that, I mean, uh, from a, a situation where you're, you know, you do a couple towers here, a couple towers here. I mean, not much field experience from after the the, the academy, and, and the fact that you're thrust into this sales position, and uh, yeah, you've sold before, you sold in you know three other different industries, you know, and uh, I want I, I, I want to touch base with that later, the different how it feels and the transferable skills and all that stuff, but I mean. So you're stepping in this role. You, you kind of have no clue or a very small amount of information on what you have to be doing. How did you uh, How did you learn what you had to do? Was it mentorship? Was it you taking the studying? Was it what, what, what was it? So I, I would say all of the above, JP. I mean, so n- number one, like you have to understand your resources, okay? okay. And if, if those resources are training, then – grab it with both hands and take advantage of it. Right. Right. If those resources or other people that are willing to come along and help you, then listen to them and try and understand what they do and how they do it. I mean, so consistently learning from others, right? So don't be afraid to ask questions. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you, like I have, I have been humbled in the oil field, right? So, I mean, I, I told you like God has a way of humbling you. Like I was, I was humbled once upon a time when I was selling copiers, I was humbled in the oil field, right? I, I got into it and I had I had people tell me, you know, that they realized I didn't know a lot. I think I literally said that to you about three minutes before we started recording this, but go on. 
Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, like, but that's okay. No, I, it's okay not to know something. I would rather, I would rather somebody tell me that, that like they don't believe that I know something than for me to misrepresent myself. Right. So I, I think that's the biggest sin in the oil field, right, is, is misrepresenting your capabilities. And that's the one thing I try and pride myself on is being an individual that's, that's very trustworthy, right? Like, I mean, if, if I tell you something, you could take it to the bank. Right. Like, I, I feel like there's, there's, I don't know, there's a pride in that honesty. No, I mean, that definitely is true. I mean, I've, I think I've known you throughout the years. I mean, no matter what you say, whether you like it or not, I mean, that's kind of what you're going to deliver on is the truth. Like, nah, eh, I, I can do this or I'm not going to make that. Like, I, it, whatever it is, I mean, you definitely, you shoot straight from the hip. Again, man, that's what, and that's that's what I try to I know you. I, I, I mean, I have the benefit of knowing you uh, to true. that extent. So. It is a benefit. It is a benefit. So you're in Colorado. You mm-hmm. just got the sales role. Then what? Okay. So I'm in Colorado. Let me let me set the landscape here, okay? Set the landscape, I'm, I'm in Colorado. It's beautiful. Like, there's snow on the ground. Um, there's a ton of different breweries. Like, nightlife is great. IPAs are huge. Amazing. Right. I'm, uh, I am in one of the easiest to sell, like, most sellable cities because, like, everybody's in this. Meets up for coffee. Yeah. Everybody's in this, like, really close environment. Um, and, uh, and so I, I embraced it. Like I, I, I fully embraced like the entire like environment, the culture of the oil field. Like I was, I was all about being a sponge. How do, how do I learn more? How do I inter- engage with customers more? Um, yeah, I mean. So did you, did you, I mean, besides mentorship, did you kind of take some uh, chance? Did you bet on yourself at all when it came to get in front of customers or connecting with customers at all? So I'm. This is gonna sound un, like unbelievably. I don't want to say crass or, or like self-involved, but to start out, like nobody believed I could do anything. Right. I hadn't earned it yet. Yeah. I I I get that. Yeah. And so so I remember we were you know we're divvying up accounts and like who's gonna call on which customer. Yeah. And, you know, Steve, God bless him. Like, I, I, you know, this guy gave me my shot. Like, I would never say a negative word about this guy. Um, but I, I think he was waiting for me to prove myself. Yeah. And so he was kind of like, okay, we've got, you know, all these customers that are doing this business. We're going to give them to, to, you know. To the top performer. To, to, the, to this other guy. Yeah. Also, also very new, great guy. We're, we're good friends this day. I saw him this weekend, okay? Um, we're going to give this customer to this guy, this customer to this guy, this customer to this guy, right? And, um, and so, yeah, so, so. I basically kind of got the leftovers. Got the scraps. But that was okay because, again, I got a background in door-to-door sales. And FYI, Denver's not a hard place to go door-to-door. So I was walking up to office buildings. I'm knocking on doors. I'm asking, like, who is responsible for this piece of business. I'm, you know, I hate to say it, kind of sweet-talking, like, people up at the front. I'm, like, whatever it took – to get an audience. No, but I mean, that's an important point I mean, we're talking about. I mean, your experience in your previous roles, such as whether it's cold calling or selling medical devices or selling printers, selling homes, I mean, you've kind of sharpened your way on how to, to, to do that cold call, to establish those relationships. So you're taking what you've learned in the past and kind of applying that to kind of what, what your current role was. Look, I'll, I'll never pretend to be an expert at this, JP. What I will tell you is this, is that you have to 
very quickly find a way to get somebody to advocate for you. Right. Okay. So you have to like make that person want to help you. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, that's key number one, right? And then key number two is just don't be, don't be scared. Right. You know, like you it's, gotta, okay. it's, it's okay to hear no. Yeah. I mean, that's actually, I encourage it. You know, right now, right now in this, in this industry that we're in, it's, 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 you know, everyone's kind of, uh, it's, you know, we're, we're kind of faced, I feel like with the old, old oil field and the new oil field right now. It's, it's, you got the old school way of doing things, the new school way of doing things. And, and I think right now for, for people to, uh, to succeed or, or even try – I mean, I think right now is the time to push the envelope, to try something new or to try to get out of your comfort zone and, 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 and try new things to, to get in front of people. Yeah, so old oil, old oil field, new oil field. What, I, what I'll tell you is that there's benefits to be had from both. Okay, so th- I think, again, one thing you'll get from our conversation is like it's never like this – or this, it's always this and this. Yeah. Okay. Right. So, so there's value on both sides of the equation, and so what our job is as leaders in the oil field now, right, is to, to try and find the value, to try and find the success on both sides, and then to in, imbibe our people with those skills and those techniques to to take you know to the world, right, to take to their customers. Um, so, but but one thing that is clear also is that the oil field is very dynamic. Oh, yeah, very much so. Yeah, so if you think that you're going to continue to do something The way you were doing it for the past 30 years? Yeah. It ain't going to happen. No, absolutely not. Like, you learn, okay? You utilize some of those things, you adapt, and then you overcome. So you went from a a sales, uh, starting off in sales in in Denver, Colorado. Sure. um, And then you got uh, moved up to manager. I moved for manager. One of the hardest decisions I've had to make, actually, professionally. Well, go on. Talk to me about that. Talk to us about that. <sighs> okay, so spent a lot of time in Denver and was, I like to believe, well-known. I mean, like, I, I had a good customer base. Right. Um, I was involved in a couple of great industry groups, Colorado Oil and Gas Association uh, Engine Group. I was, like, I was on the advisory committee for that. Okay. Um, had gotten my grad degree from University of Colorado, Denver. Congratulations. Thank you. I, I feel like it's the first time you've heard of this. It was on my resume, though. Well, it's a podcast. So okay. I got to act like it's the okay. first time. All so right. Congratulations. All right. Fair um, yeah. So, so I had, I, I like to believe I had built a reputation and a brand in Colorado. Okay. okay? And I worked for, to this day, one of the greatest mentors that I've ever had. I continue to have. Okay. Okay. And, um, you know, I, I wanted to lead. And it was what I was passionate about before I joined the oil field. Like, I, I, I wanted to lead. And so opportunity presented itself in Midland, arguably, like, one of the biggest oil field, like, I mean, one of the biggest basins in the world, right? At that point— Is this still with Baker? Still Baker. Okay. Um, at that point in time, we're sitting at <sighs> December of 2016, Okay. So, Rick, so this is right after. No, actually, this is the year after the the old OPEC post uh, the Friday after uh, Thanksgiving discussions where they flood the market. Yeah, so so I want to say rig count bottomed in the Permian in June or July of fifteen, and it was like 130, 140 rigs, something like that, okay. right? And um, and then it started to build up. It hadn't reached two hundred rigs at that point. So, um, so yeah. December 2016, I start having conversations 
um, both with the, the individual who was my mentor in Denver and then with uh, the individuals. What conversations? Just that I wanted it. That I mean, that you want what? You want the leadership role? You yeah, want to go- that, that I wanted to be the boss in, okay. in Midland, right? Okay. And I mean, JP, like you don't ever get anything you don't like ask for. So I asked for it. I was like, I want this. Okay. And I knew whenever I was asking for it, I was, I mean, I'm, I'm from Texas. I know what Midland's about. I've been to Midland. I got, but I was so happy in Denver, right? I was like, I was just. Oh, it's beautiful up there. I was I, like, and I saw your house too. You, I remember you sent me photos. You were living, you know, a couple miles away from Denver in this beautiful cabin. You got this beautiful backyard, like, like uh, a commando. Remember he was carrying the log? Right yeah. there, and here's yeah. the, he like looks up wind. Here's the chopper coming in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was, it was beautiful up there. Hey, absolutely. And Midland's beautiful too. Different though, but beautiful. Yeah. So so what I'll tell you is that that Midland's an amazing place for people, right? So so if if you're in the oil field and you're looking for an opportunity, and there's one that pops up in Midland to grow your career. Okay, because I learned more than any other posting that I've ever had. I learned in middle. Okay. okay, so if you're looking, to why grow, is that? Because I, again, I said yes to something that I was probably ill qualified for, but just decided I was going to do it. So a lot of people have hesitations on like, oh, there's a job, but it's in Midland. Yeah, don't do oh, that. There's, there's this job, it's in Midland. Oh, don't this, do that. Like just I would go, go with it. Like yeah. So if if my my leadership is listening, like I would go back to Midland. But and if your leadership's listening, if there's that posting in Hawaii, I guess I'll go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If there's some geothermal work in Hawaii, then you can sign me up for that too. Um, yeah. I mean, so again, like Midland's a great place. Yeah. Okay? Like I, I never want to like make it sound like it's not. Um, but again, I mean, I'm, I'm in Denver. I'm, I'm a very happy camper in Denver. I have, you know, basically, a, you know, great house. Kids are happy. I'm, I'm doing well professionally. Yeah. Like all of those things are going well, right? But I mean, I think this is a topic you've probably covered ad nauseum on this podcast, but if you're not uncomfortable, then you're not growing. Okay. Okay? Is that fair? Yeah, I don't like the the word nauseum with the podcast, but I understand. I get it. Yeah, if you're not if you're not growing, if you're not getting out of your comfort zone, you're yeah. right. I mean, it, you're kind of you're 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 stagnating yourself. Yeah, so I wanted the next thing. Okay. I I, I wanted to prove myself, right? So who are you proving yourself to? You? Yeah, to me, man. Okay. Like, I mean, I'm, again, I'm a single dad, so. See, I, I set my standards extremely low for myself. I doubt that. That way, every I doubt day that. I can exceed them. I doubt that. That way, every day I no. can exceed them. No, come on. That's man. just my move. That's my trick. Mm-hmm. So you want you have this you have this, this this target for yourself, and you have to. Re- and the only way you can do that is, is go to Midland and take on this new role. Yeah, I mean. Like if, if, if you want So how much experience did you have in Denver before you took on this managerial role in Midland? So, I mean, again, I moved in 17, started in Denver in 12. So we're talking about five years. Okay. Um, yeah, I had, at the time I had, well, so I had transitioned a couple of years before that into completions. So I'd been in mud for three years in Denver, did well. I, so we talked about it a little bit, but I, yeah, I kind of got the scraps, but made an awful lot of the scraps, right? So the scraps ended up being, man, I like the scraps. Tender sometimes, morsels for me. No, I get that. I mean, sometimes, yeah. I mean, people are like, oh, great, all these accounts and all this stuff. I'm like, no. time out. You have your opportunity to get wedged into these smaller companies 
and make a huge difference. I like, you know, so there, there's some people that, you know, that I've talked to in the past, like, oh, well, we're just, you know, we, you know, we have one well here. Sure. We, I'm like, I don't give a shit. Like, I think that's awesome. I would love to partner you on that just because like, there's more of a relationship, I feel like. So, so whenever I left mud, I, I felt like Michael Jordan going out on top. Okay. So whenever I moved out of the drilling fluids business and I moved into completions at the time we're in the, well, how did you get the completions manager role if you were never in completions before? No. So I, I was in completions in Denver. So again, the guy who has been one of the greatest mentors of my life. Okay. Um, moved to completions ahead of me. He was okay. in fluids, saw the talent that I possessed moved over to completions, brought me to completions. Um, basically at, at that point in time, you're in the midst of kind of a revolution in the completion strategy, right? Because before in, you know, from really like 2011, 2012 to 2015, maybe even before 2011, you're in the midst of like the sliding sleeve revolution, right? Which was great for service companies because like sliding sleeve technology um, was, I mean, it was, it was, a, a, a new technology, right? Right. When you talk about downturns, you talk about the way service companies become important to operators, what you're really talking about is how do we present new services or technologies, right, that revolutionize the oil field. If you go back, okay, to the 80s, like there's so many differentiating technologies that came about as a byproduct of the oil downturn. So. That's a great point because you're seeing a lot of that these days. You're seeing a huge shift right now to data, to to, to technology, to you're kind of seeing a new like new focal points. You know what I mean in the oil and gas industry. Absolutely. So new buzzword: dark technology. D A R Q. Dark technology. Dark technology. Go on. So distributed ledger. Which uh, again, I'm not going to elaborate on these because I'm not a, an expert by any stretch of the imagination. Okay, so, but okay. Distributed ledger, artificial intelligence, ex, um, extended reality, okay, and then quantum computing, right? So, so, so basically equals Skynet. Yeah, <laughs> equals Skynet exactly, right? So, moral of the story though, JP, is that data is more important to operators these days than it ever has been. Okay. Okay, and and. I mean, we can pretend that it was important, really important 20 years ago, but the the reality is like nowadays, like people run their businesses based on data. So that's all you're hearing these days. So whenever we talk about sales, okay, whenever we talk about the evolution of sales, okay, it's always going to be about people. Like I, that's number one. Okay. No, no matter the day, the time I'm going to continue to tell you the success or failure of a company is about people. Right, no T one, okay. no T one thousand is going to come in and sell something. Not yet, not yet. But I, I don't think ever because again, people are are the quintessential piece that you have to have. But operators are buying data. Okay. Okay, so they're buying a way to improve their business, and you have to be able to prove that. And the way you prove that is through data. So, where are we at before that? I don't know. You, you had me in the dark data. Boom. Yeah. You're no, welcome. You're flipping the script right now. Hey. No, so let I me mean, ask you some questions. No, no, no. You can ask me any <laughs> question you want. I really don't care. I mean, a lot of people have requested for them to do a podcast on me, but we're not here to talk about me, Jason. We're talking about you right now. Okay. So you're in this role. You're, uh, you're you just you moved to Midland, manager. So, so yeah. So I said yes. So you I just, yes. I just, hey, say yes, right? That, right? That's my guidance. Say yes. Take a challenge. So leaving a very comfortable environment for an uncomfortable environment. 
and I landed Midland and their sub 200 rigs. Okay. And between the time that I landed and the time that I left Midland, it doubled. Okay. okay. So, I mean, and everything associated with Midland doubled, right? The population doubled. The traffic doubled. Yeah. How's the market? Boy, went did it. Yeah, it did too. The number of shops on the the side of the highways doubled. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I mean, it was a it was a great time. I mean, I I, I don't want to say I hit it perfectly. I, I six months before, and I would have been like for the entire there for the entire boom. Yeah. But I was there for the boom. Okay. Yeah, and it was amazing. I mean, again, that's I, a pretty exciting time to see. I'll bet it was great. It was great. I mean, why I, do you like? Why do you want? Why Why do you want to be a, a manager, or lead a sales team so much? Well, no, no. The, the The reason why I'm asking this yeah. is why because to me, honestly, like, and honestly, to some people, like, again, I'm not saying bad at anything about management, but like. It seems like, you know, you're, you're thriving. You know what I mean? You're in Denver thriving, not as a manager. You're, you're making these great connections. You're having great success. You're crushing it. You're, you're doing a great job. And then to suddenly take yourself out of that role into a managerial role where you're kind of removing yourself from the front lines of the customers to focus on the people. What, 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 what uh, drew you in about that? So, so all I can tell you is that in my mind's eye, right, I, I envision myself as this individual that helps others achieve their goal. Okay. You so, enjoy helping people. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's why I've been, whatever success I've had in sales, it's, it's a byproduct of that. Okay. okay? It's, it's like, I want to understand what's going on with their business. I want to understand how do I help them? Okay. I, I want to like, I want to be friends with them, but like, so so let me let me say this. You're you're very talented, JP. I'm gonna give you some credit here, okay? You are exceptionally talented at like just like finding people and you never met an enemy, man. Everybody's your friend. Can you agree with that? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. So so I mean for me, like it's it's always kind of been it hasn't been quite as easy as you, but the one thing that I will tell you is like easy. Yeah. Well, you don't know my story. Ooh. No one's interviewed Ooh. me. Ooh. You don't know my story. Ooh. What, I, what I'll tell you is that, you know, for me, the, the one thing that I like to do is I like to try and understand before I even talk to somebody, I like to have some ideas around what they might need or how I might be able to help them. Okay. Before, before I even walk up and shake your hand. And the reason why I, I think that way is because I believe in the universal law of reciprocation, which is you're going to help me. Okay. If I help you first. But I have to I have to find a way to help you first. Okay. Okay. Like I can't ask anything of you. I can't be like, hey JP, how about you give me that work if I haven't already found a way to give you some level of value. So is this more of a uh, a company motivator? Like, look, I'm uh, like for example, like uh uh I'm in this man- sales manager position and I want these people to perform extremely well for the company. Or, or is it one of those things where it's kind of the individual approach? It's like, I want these people to perform very well because I want to see them do well. More, more the latter. Okay. So it's all about the people, right? right. So it's like, how do, how do I help the, the guys and gals that, like, that work for me? How do I help them achieve what they want to achieve? Okay. It's the same technique. It's the same mindset with customers as it is with people that work for your company, right? It's how do I help somebody else? Like they're going to help me 
But how do I help them first? So at the end of the day, the whole, you know, this is going to, I'm doing this to benefit the company. That kind of, that kind of takes back burner because it's, if these, if these people do well under me, it's going to help the company regardless. You know, I mean, like, I think, I think a lot of probably text has been written on this subject, JP, but, but what I'll tell you, at least from my personal strategy is, is, is this, right? And it, it mirrors kind of the good to great strategy as well, which is like first who, then what? Okay, so like, let's get the right people. Okay, yeah. let's find the right people, and then we'll craft everything else. But we have to have the right people. Okay, so if I have a team of people, which I do currently, right? A great team. Right. Okay, when I have a team of people that I firmly believe in, then what I want to do is understand how I help them. Okay, how, how do how do I understand their challenges, understand their needs? Like give them what they need to be successful. How do I remove the barriers and then give them? How full- do I establish a relationship? I mean, it is, but I mean, like, it's earned. Does that make sense? Like, no. it, it, like it's earned because, like, I, I'm not just trying to be friends. I'm trying to help them. So you're talking about sourcing the right people and finding the right individuals for the role. So I mean, what are you actually looking for? I mean, what do you, so when someone uh, uh, applies to your team, I mean, are you looking for someone that's coachable, someone that's looking for a mentor, someone that's a hot shot? I'm going to go do this by myself. And I'm going to go sell, you know, $10 million here. You, I mean, what, do you, what, do you, what kind of person or personality are you looking for? What key characteristics do you find valuable and part of your team? Okay. So number one. It's a great question, JP. It's a Thanks, great question, Jason. JP. Thanks, Woo! Jason. Go on. Um, so number one, there are no two successful salespeople that look alike, talk alike, act alike, like everybody's different. Right. Okay. And so you have to embrace the diversity. Right. Okay. So you have to embrace that number one as a leader. Okay. Okay. But as I say that kind of tongue in cheek, there is one or two capabilities that you have to look for, okay? And it's it's it all kind of boils back to, you know, the way that I coach my son when he's playing football. All right? It's like, look, man, there's a lot of things that you don't control here, okay? You don't control how big you are, right? You don't co- control how fast the guy who's lining acro- up across from you is. Yeah, you control daddy's happiness by being <laughs> successful in the field. Don't make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> so... I told my son, I was like, look, you control effort and attitude. Like, that's it. Like, your coach is going to tell you things to do. You can get pissed off about it, or you can sit there and say, yes, sir, I'm going to do it as best I can, right? Yeah. At the end of the day, those are, the, those are your controllables. Effort and attitude. So whenever we talk about, like, at work in, in Weatherford, whenever we talk about things outside of our control, we talk about gravity, right? It's a force acting upon you, but right. you have no control over it. It's always going to be there. Okay, so let's just ignore that. Okay, like maybe not ignore, but let's just understand that it's outside of our control and let's control the controllables. Yeah. All right. And that's effort and attitude. So I had a, um, a guy that I used to work for and um, he had a, like a really succinct way of putting it to me. And it, it made a lot of sense. He's like, look, like we're all after results. Right. We're all after results. Yeah. And so anytime like you have leadership and you're like, oh, I want these results, like you have to understand first before you ever get results that there are strategies and tactics that lead up to results, right? So it's like if you were working out, 
and your goal was to be healthy, I mean, you got to exercise and you got to eat right. Right. Those are your controllables, right? Like, right. You can't just decide, oh, I'm going to be healthy, right? You have to sit there and go and put the work in every day and exercise. You control that. You can do that. And then you have to eat right every day. Yeah. You do those two things, this happens, right? If you don't do those two things, it doesn't. Right. So control the controllables. Forget about gravity. Man, that's, yeah, I, that's a great point. Um, so uh, I guess, I mean, let's, 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 let's get moving on. That's an excellent point about effort and attitude. I mean, there's a lot of people I feel I was like, oh, this younger generation, they don't know nothing, all that stuff, the millennials. I, you know what? It's not to me a Generation Z, X, Y, millennial stuff. It's it's uh, I've had a difficult way to kind of define it. I think the way is kind of what you said. It's it's someone's effort and attitudes towards taking on a challenge. You know whether whether they take the attitude like oh it's not my problem or it's like screw it it'll get done later or whatever. I mean I think I think what you just pointed on is actually a great point. It's effort and attitude. And I think there's a lot of great people whether I don't care if you're a 6-year-old oil field sales guy or whether you're getting out of college want to break into it. I mean it's effort and attitude that that go a long way that can shape someone's career and their path. Yeah, so again, we'll we'll talk about diversity. There is no gender to no. success, there's no race to success, there's no religion to success. At the end, there's no orientation to success. Success is success. Yeah, you either have the effort and attitude to get it done, or you don't. I mean, that's that's up to you. I mean, it's completely under your control. And I, and I, I mean, I, I say that like life throws you lemons all the time, right? But you can accept them. Yeah. Right. Or you can do something about them. Yeah. So, um, I feel like we're getting lemons just thrown at us like it's the with the game uh spread eagle well like, I, I i can't i can't allow you because i know you too well i what? can't i can't allow you to sit there and fall into like this negative thought process because jp well, you can't be negative man i mean yeah. we, we just talked about it before this i mean to me honestly you get you start getting drowned out in all the noise of what's going on in the world today whether it's the election whether it's whether it's you know facebook whether it's these, these riots you gotta you honestly there's enough negativity out there to either fuel you through your day in a negative way where you come home and you take that out in your relationships, whether it's your family or friends or your work, or you just shut that off. And I'm, I'm, I told you before we got on the podcast, I'm at, I'm at the point where ignorance is bliss. Like I'm done with the news. I'm done with all this shit, you know? So I enjoy, you're right. Can focus on what you control. Well, and so uh, another topic or another like, way that I categorize this is like energy vampires, right? So we had like, I've had people that I work with. Yeah. Okay. And I've had people outside of the people that I work with. Like I had people in my personal life. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And these people always see the glasses half empty type oh, of mentality. God, that just drags you down. But like literally like I got no time for those people. It's okay? tiring. Like I'm not going to have those people on my team. Yeah. I'm not going to have those people in my life. Like my life is about success and about continuing to strive after goals that I can accomplish, okay? But I can't do that if I have people that are consistently in my ear telling me about the, the, all the things the, that are wrong. That everything's flooding, it's, all, it's yeah. over, the, the no. sky's falling. You can't have that. And a, a good way to do that, honestly, and you know, honestly, like with everything going on, I mean, people get upset. It's like, oh, you don't follow current events and all that stuff. It's like, no, oh, well, why not? I'm like... Because it makes me happier. 
That's why. And you know what? That's a selfish reason, and that might be an ignorant reason, but I'm fine with that. I'm hey. fine with that. Like, There's enough shit going on. I can open up my phone right now, go to Facebook, and find out like 15,000 things that are wrong with this world. Well, and I'm, I'm not going to comment on social media or all those things. I mean, that, that's that's – Oh, that's kind another, of a, oh, that's another topic, brother. As, as terrible as it sounds, it's kind of a necessary evil in our world a little bit, right? But if it's like, used properly, hey. But you know what? At the end of the day, like, latch on to things that build you. Okay, like grasp, hug them with both arms. Yeah, like latch on to things that build you in a and, good way. Yeah, and it'll serve you exceptionally well in a good way. Totally agree. Yeah. So let's. I mean, let's kind of get into another subject. I mean, you and I were talking before this, and I think you had a couple good points that I think that are very interesting. I mean, in the oil and gas industry, with everything going on right, going on right now, with all the consolidations, with all the the whether it's you know layoffs, mergers, acquisitions, people being you know let go, new opportunities, people leaving the industry. What do you What do you personally want to see change in our in our industry? Yeah. Good question, JP. Thank you. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the one thing, JP, that I think we can do a much better job at is, like, advocacy, okay? So our industry provides so much value. Right. And everybody that's involved in our industry understands that value. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, you understand it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if I don't understand, I can just, I can just log into LinkedIn and see the value we add as an oil and gas industry. You're right. Yeah. Totally agree. All of the industry groups that I've been involved in understand the value. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The problem is, is that when you're outside of the industry, I don't know that everybody else sees the value. Okay. And it's not because there's not ample value to be seen. Well, before you dive into this, you have an excellent point. People are saying that we have to communicate what we do as an industry to the public, to Wall Street, to to the press. That you know, you know, life without oil, you can't get medicines, plastic, this, that, that. I mean, there's so much. Uh, there's so many different derivatives you can get from oil and gas, fossil fuels. Um, but that being said, us shouting that to each other is going to do a, a, a poor job of being an advocate for our industry because we know this. We, we know what the oil and gas industry provides for the for the, the world and our families and friends. Sure. Right? Sure. But that being said, how do we be industry advocates um, without focusing on the facts? Yeah. So I've, I've played both sides of the coin here, right? So I'm an 18 year old kid going into Texas A&M, you know, engineering scholarship, and I'm. You want to whoop again? Whoop! All right. So, um, no idea what oil and gas does, what it provides, how it helps me. I had no idea either. Zero clue. None. Okay. The reality is, is that the industry as a whole, and this is my belief. Okay, again, everything that I've said here. That's your personal belief. It's all my personal beliefs. I get no, it. No beliefs of previous employers, current employers. But I get it. What I can tell you, all right, from my personal perspective, okay, is that hearts and minds are won by emotional pleas, okay? And so whenever we start talking about how do we build advocacy for the oil and gas business, it has to be on an emotional level with the populace, okay? Like they have been conditioned to dislike what we do. Oh, okay? yeah, since the 70s, 60s. It's, it's been a political rallying cry. Yeah. Like, and it's it's all about— And what's politics? 
What's politics? Is politics usually facts? It's it's whatever it takes to get somebody elected. Right? Politics are usually based on fear and emotion. Yeah. Yeah. But, but what we do has to have an emotional plea, right? Because there's plenty of facts to support what we do. But whenever we get into a factual discussion around really the value of what oil and gas delivers, it falls on deaf ears. We get lost. Well, this is why. I mean, there's a lot of people that have been on this podcast, and honestly, what the, the message they're saying is very valuable and very true. It's like us as an industry need to do a better job of communicating X Y Z or doing X Y Z. You know, once you know, uh, you know, a wind turbine actually produces more carbon footprint than that. Again, that's facts. Sure. So how do we as an industry uh, discuss kind of uh, the the who we are on the emotionals on the emotional side. Yeah. So so great question. Thank you. Uh, you know the 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 way that we do that is we we demonstrate the value that we've delivered to someone, right? So it's like it it's all about people. Whenever we start talking about what sells, it's people, right? Whenever we start talking about like how do we build advocacy, it's people, right? Okay. So. Um, whenever we whenever we say how do you build some type of an emotional plea to John Smith, the unknowing individual out there, it has to reach him on an emotional level. Lord knows our competition is reaching him on an emotional level, right? You've got you know some program that says that you know a family's groundwater has been contaminated and it's, and it's damaged the life of their son yeah. or their daughter right yeah. and if you're watching that you know nothing about oil and gas i would hate it i would you, hate the oil and gas you industry. would sit there and be like you're killing people yeah you know you're killing people too right you're doing it for money yeah uh capitalism but 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 nobody talks about the millions of lives that are saved as a byproduct of what we do not to mention the fact that that's misinformation, okay? Yeah. Well, like, we can talk about that all day long, right? But um, anybody who wants to know more about this, like, I really recommend The Moral Case of Fossil Fuels. This isn't a plug for that on your podcast. What is that, a book? It's a book. Podcast it's a book. Um, Alex Epstein, it's, it's, it's a good discussion around, like, where does your value system lie, okay? Does your value system lie around having a completely untouched earth? Because if it does then oil and gas is probably not the way that you're going to think, right? Like, And you have to deal with people living in po- poverty and, uh, you know, you know, famines, and you have to deal with you know, people not being elevated with, 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 with economical costs of, uh, of energy. The truth is, is that no oil and gas, people touch earth, right? No oil and gas, and people are chopping down wood for some type of energy, right? Yeah. So at the end of the day, you either have to say completely untouched earth or the value of life of people. Well, unfortunately, the uh, it's not unfortunate. Actually, kind of hats off to them. But renewables industry, I mean, they've done such a good job of promoting themselves. As, and I, look, this isn't us versus them. Again, like, this isn't an us versus them argument. You know, we totally have to agree. do a better job showing that, hey, we're not the bad guys at the party. You know what I mean? We're here to clean up. We're here to to, to bring the punch, to bring the cups, to, 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 to pick up after. You know, we're making sure no one gets over-served. So it's one of those things, too, where it's like, man, it's 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 not like, oh, oil and gas versus renewables. You know, obviously, that, I think that's I think that's a, a stalled mindset. I mean, yeah, I think renewables are important. I think they're, they're an important part of us. But if you go about this as saying, 
you know, next year we're going straight new renewables or anything like that. That's not being factual. But at the same time, they've done such a good job of appealing to the hearts and minds, the the emotional side of things. And we've done such a poor job of that. Yeah. So we can't be factual. We have to be emotional. So, so another another plug to the grad program at University of Colorado, Denver, Jim. What's up, Jim? What's up, Jim? Um, moral of the story with that program is that they made you evaluate like all forms of primary energy, okay? And to, to look at just what our energy infrastructure looks like across really, really all genres, okay? So in my mind, I work in oil and gas. I love oil and gas. I think that we've got a very proud story to tell. Mm-hmm. Are you texting during my podcast? No, I'm actually um, okay. writing down points. Okay, just making sure. So we have a very proud story to tell. But if we don't include all of the other primary energy sources into that story, then, I mean, we're really shooting ourselves in the foot. Like, the future looks like all of us working together. Okay, the future's in the middle. Yeah. And so, like, whenever whenever we get going down a road where it's us versus them, like, we're, we're in the wrong mindset already. Amen. Yeah, it's it's in the middle. That's where the future's at. We yeah. have to find a way to work together. And and I, I I pray that that the oil and gas business and renewables, I mean, we consistently find ways to thrive together. And it's an it's an emotional personal appeal. Just like that person, you know, with with a child from, you know, frack water contaminating whatever. Sure. I mean, it's it's a, it's a personal appeal too. I mean, we need to do as an industry rather than do a reactive approach as, you know, Oh, we, you know, we covered this up or we, you know, we handled this situation when it, when it got out of control. We needed to go kind of more, you know, you see these commercials like, you know, you know, like, oh, we're creating the future of energy or like, oh, the, it's like, that's more of a corporate uh, of uh, message versus a, an individual energy oil and gas f- message to the, to, to the audience. So it needs to be emotional. It needs to be personal at the same time. We've got a great message to sell, JP. I mean, literally, like, oil and gas is a phenomenal message, okay? Like, so when I was doing my grad program, we went to um, we went to Europe, we went to London, we also went to D.C. I can tell you that of all of the groups that I visited with, nuclear groups, renewable groups, uh, Department of Energy, like, the one group that, like, cherished safety cherished like doing things the right way more than any other group is api okay like literally whenever you talk about what we do we do more to try and manage our footprint than any other business out there okay we just are not communicating on an emotional level so when you're horrible at it so when you talk to me about like what needs to change is advocacy how do we build fans how do we build people to be on our side and i'll tell you what one thing a lot of people are getting um um I feel like are getting it wrong, and, and there's been studies about this, and there's there, there's been you know reports and studies, you know cognitive reports and all this stuff. Like one thing is this: you can't sit there and say the other side is wrong. You know sure. what I mean? You can't sure. sit there in the sidelines like, oh, you think you're right about Tesla? You're wrong. You also can't be quiet. You can't be. You know, you can't be quiet too. But you can't. So. Do, you can't do it in an attacking mode. Yeah. So another great mentor of mine. Um, you know, we're talking about customer engagement, and uh, this individual, he was like, "Look, if if you just allow nothing to be said, then like in a vacuum, 
the worst starts to present itself. I hate to say it, human nature. Like you, you yeah. just start to believe the worst. Okay, if, if I never respond to you, you ask me a question and I might have your very best interest at heart and be like proceeding down a path to deliver exactly what you want. But if I tell you nothing. Yeah, I, I don't think you're, you're doing anything for me. You, you don't automatically think that I'm doing everything that I can for you. In fact, you think the opposite. Yeah, I think you're trying to squeeze me out, hide me, hide me from what's going on. Correct. And so in a vacuum, people start to think the worst. So communication is super important. All right. And whenever it comes to talking to the the public, we have to be out in front of the situation, building advocacy, communicating on an emotional level. Part of that is listening. Okay. No, no. Yeah, no, I, I no, totally look, agree. No, look, I'm 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 kind of going off it's right now on a little soapbox. It's communication. I mean, yeah. you're right. I mean, look, a lot of people lately are getting, you know, f- you know, obviously right now we're in election year and all that stuff, but I mean, we're getting fired up. People are getting fired up right now. People are so quick to shout out, "No, this is right. Let me show this in your face." Or, "No, you're wrong. This is why you're wrong." You don't win anyone that over that way. If anything, you push them in their camps more. Sure. You know what I mean? So sure. I don't think right now is the time to um, to uh, attack's the wrong word, but I feel like everything's so energized. I don't feel like right now is the time to uh, speak downly or, or or to yell our position in, in in people that either a probably don't even know what's going on in the gas industry. They're getting their news. They're getting their information from the news or you know this. Whatever. I, I, I think now is not the time to, you know, if someone is, you know, oh, let's just go to renewables and da, 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 overnight. I think now is the time to instead of being like, well, oil and gas supports my family and put it up there, whether it's Facebook, LinkedIn or Instagram. I think now is the time to say, OK, well, let's talk about this. Like, I think it's more of a conversation to be had versus putting your foot in the ground, digging your heels in the sand and being def- de- argumentative if that makes sense so i feel like we're going to repeat a lot of the same topics in a different way okay so totally agree with you okay the world has become highly politicized the world has become completely divided right okay again one man's perspective all right Right. but what i can tell you is that whenever we start talking about like sales and engagement with people okay nobody ever comes to your way of thinking by you forcing it upon them no Okay, it never happens, all right? So the way people come to your way of thinking is first believing or understanding, not even believing, but understanding they've been heard, right? So I'm going to give a plug to another um, group that I listen to, Black Swan Group for Negotiations. Um, They have their, their own consultancy, but they put out a pretty regular newsletter, and the, the guy who started it, I, I want to say he was um, the lead negotiator for the FBI. And like his position is always like if you're negotiating with somebody, the first thing you do is hear them. Like you acknowledge everything that's real to them. That's such a skip step though these days. But nobody wants to do it, right? Because everybody's got their own perspective. They want to tell you why you're wrong. Yeah, no, I'm, here's the deal. If anyone fires back at you with any and anything that goes against your camp, mm-hmm. it's automatically shoot that out of the sky fire back at why they're wrong. It's not listening. Sure. You need to have these conversations. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a huge weakness and it's, it's a, I think it's a weakness that's indicative. I hate to say it of our, of our society. I don't know if it's just Western society. I don't know if it exists like everywhere, but like people want to inflict their own opinion on everybody else. Yeah. Like everyone gives a shit. 
their three eyes. Everybody's got their own opinion. Everyone's got their own opinion. Your yeah. colors, your favorite color is different than my favorite. Color. Always will be. Yeah, always will be. So listen, like hear where they're coming from. Understand why they believe the way that they believe. Okay, acknowledge their beliefs. Right. Yeah. It's one of those things you can actually think about. It's like, why do I care so much what this person's doing? I don't. So I'm going to sit here and just, just just listen, you know, like just just yeah. But 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 I do care, and 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 what I'll tell you is this: is like I'm genuinely curious. Like that's one of the things that I'll tell you right now that I've I've come to realize about myself is that there's a very genuine curiosity around why people do what they do, like right. why people believe the way that they believe, and I feel like that is like a huge piece of whatever success that I've developed that that's a huge piece of why I've been successful is because like, I want to know what makes people tick. I want to know why they think the way they think. And I mean, at times in sales, I, I truly believe you have to challenge the way people think. I think if you're just like a yes man that sits there and says, Oh no, your beliefs are perfect. You're absolutely right. Then you'll never see success. But at the same time, you have to understand why you have to listen. Yeah. And then once you have an understanding of why they believe the way they believe, then you can respectfully challenge it. Yeah. So. So real quick, Jason, wrapping up, I mean, we're coming on in about an hour and 15 minutes of this uh, podcast, which is great. Which I feel I like love. we could do this for hours, buddy. Honestly, we probably could. I don't think they want to hear it. Um, so you and I, we met in 2000, actually 2000, right? 2001. 2001. Yeah, it was so summer, Jason summer I met, 2001. Jason and I met on a, uh, a marketing uh, study trip abroad, right? There was a group of about 60, yeah. 70 people. Indeed, yeah. And we went, uh, we toured several, you know, countries at Texas A&M. We spent two months abroad, like just touring around different places. Pretty much was a pub crawl, but they, they sold it on the market. <laughs> hey, man, we, we studied too. So explain to me the first uh, the first time we met, if you don't mind. Man, you want my version of this? <laughs> Why not? All right. So, you know, JP, if those of you that know JP, he's a, a you know, a 6'5", larger-than-life character, right? <laughs> larger-than-life, right? So um, go on this marketing study abroad, recently moved from engineering, really don't know anybody whatsoever, okay? So JP's on this boat, and... Um, God. So so JP, I'm not even going to say what he was like, the groups that he was involved with at AM, but JP's on this boat. And uh, I was in the Corps of Cadets. What's your problem with that, bud? There's there's nothing wrong with that. Protecting I, your freedom. Hey, man, I have nothing but the utmost respect for the Corps right, of Cadets. All right, all right, go on, go on. But JP um, wanted to lead the entire group of Aggies in, uh, in a yell practice. On a boat in the Thames River in How London. How many times do you get to do a yell practice Zero. in the Thames River? No, actually, like, mad respect. Never. Mad respect for you. Never. Mad respect for you. No doubt. No doubt. Mad respect. You never get to do that. But I was, I was, yeah, I was kind of like, wow, this guy's exceptionally brave. Like, like really, really brave. So uh, Jason and I got uh, many stories from our uh, studying abroad time. So we went there in that one year, right? That was uh, 2000, 2001. Then you well, and I went TAs on the next year. So, so yeah, so JP and I were kind of instant friends. Is that a fair statement? That's a very fair statement. I mean, literally, like, I pass you on the way to the bar, and 
Uh, Waxy, both, Waxy O'Connor. Waxy O'Connor's been there since, by the way. In London? Yes. You, yeah, you were there on your, uh, when you were getting your uh, master's. Yeah. master's. Yeah, the last time I was there. But it was still there. It's still great. And, um, yeah, I mean, passing each other, like, cheersing each other. Um, yeah, instant friends. So afterwards, again, great individual mentor to us both, Larry, Dr. Larry Gresham. Dr. Larry Gresham. Um, he ended up taking us both under his wing. Yeah. And we both had the opportunity to serve as teaching assistants the following year. But interesting, it's like a juxtaposition of environments, like friendly to Americans, unfriendly to Americans. Do you remember that? No, because I feel like I'm pretty Euro. What do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah, that's fair. Um, so, I mean, we went summer 2001, right? So September 11th, 2001, obviously we had the Twin Towers fall. That And that didn't happen yet. It hadn't happened the first time we went. That's right. And so whenever we went, like the, I, I felt like the entire... Like, oh, you're entire mannequins. Year, Come here. Let me kiss you. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But whenever we went back as teaching assistants, the environment was not as friendly, which is crazy because it's like this event happened to us well then again i mean again listening they also saw the whole you know right after that i actually studied abroad in england sure. I, my flight was on september 22nd yep in 2001 i mean i remember whenever you went back over there dude there was like four people on the flight like i had a full row i'm like this is all this is great you know what i mean but like no, then after that, I remember being over in England, and uh, I think that's when we went to – that's when we had sent troops over to Afghanistan. Sure. So it, to a lot of people, it's a very unjust, unjustified war, whatever you want to call it. So right. I'm sure that's where the, uh, the – maybe the second round – but I didn't even notice that. I think I was just having a good time the whole way through. I didn't even notice that. Man, I just know that, like, there was – it was a blessing that I kept some students out of jail because, I mean, there was, like – I mean, we were about to go fisticuffs. And, oh, really? Yeah, in the middle of – man, I don't even want to name the country because I'm not going to do that. But To yeah. the country? Yeah, the, yeah, country, I'm the not country gonna, really listens. I'm not going to insult the country. Yeah, okay? they're a huge list. There's the number one – number two <laughs> listeners really out list. there. Hey, man. But, yeah, there was – I mean, there was a lot of, like – I just, feel like I'd be bad at fisticuffs. I've never been in a fight before. I know, I know you've, you've scrabbled before. I feel like I'd be horrible. I feel like I'd be an emotional fighter. Like, I'd cry, like, a huge <laughs> snot bubble pop. I'd be like, oh, man, you call me a loser in there. I'm crying because you call me a loser. JP, you're 6'5", dude. Like, it doesn't matter. You, you got reach on everybody. I fight him with my mind. You fight him with your mind. Not All my right. heart. All right, fair enough. Fair so, enough. anyway, so, uh, Jace, you got anything else to, uh, to, to bring up right now? Hey, I just want to thank you. I want to oh, thank dude. Capital thank Petroleum you. Consultants for allowing me. What are you? Why are you the trying to? Why are you trying to plug the number one well supervisor project engineering company out there today? Hey, you don't have look, to do that. It, I just it, did that at the beginning of the show. At the end of the day, JP, like I just I'm appreciative of what you guys do. Um, want to want to say very many thanks to to Weatherford for allowing me to do this with you. Um, Great. I'm, glad, I'm glad you came on, man. Great company. I've been really excited. Great team. Um, excited about what's to come with this company. So with that said, man, thank you. Like, what message do you have out there to the audience? Hey, kids. For, for those of you listening in, say yes. Just say yes. Like you'll To take, the career opportunities. There are a lot of people that are looking right now, right? So it's like, look, take a chance. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, bet on yourself. Yeah, you're you're gonna do fine. Like, I mean, whenever whenever your back's pushed against the wall, okay, like we're resilient. We're 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 resilient people, man. So so be brave. Try something new. Like, fail fast. If 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 it's gonna be a failure, fail fast and learn something. And learn something from it because it's not a failure at all, is it? 
That's right. That's a good yeah. point. Everyone, again, this is uh, Jason Stewart, the technical sales manager at Completion Solutions at Weatherford. And uh, if you got any questions for him, you can find him on LinkedIn or, or you can email me at uh, roundtherotary at cap-petro.com. Again, it's roundtherotary at cap-petro.com. And Jason, I appreciate you coming in, bud. Hey, man. Thanks for having me again. Always enjoy talking to you. And uh, thanks for not spilling any uh, dark secret beans that we might have had in, uh, not you and me, but like our time. Our- party times in Europe. You know what I'm talking about. Anyway, all right, I'll edit that out. You're very welcome. I'll edit that out. All right, buddy. We'll talk to you soon.